that the sleazy becomes normal. You don't recognize it any longer after a while of being sleazy. It's just like, you know. And uh, this hotel room had this window. Took all, it took me one time. Uh, yeah, of course, you didn't. Uh, you weren't supposed to open the window. The window had not been opened since the days of Diamond Jim Brady. And uh, it was covered with thick grayish, uh, battleship gray paint and nailed shut. And the window was uh, sort of grimy and dark and gray. And once in a while, I would hear stuff sailing down the air shaft. You just hear it whistle past the window. Somebody up on the ninth floor, you know, just tosses stuff out the door, the window, whatever it is, it just goes down the air shaft. And I would hear it hit down below. And the one day I finally got so tired of this window that I pried it open and I creaked it up. And it had never been open for a long time. And I looked down and I saw that the air shaft was filled, literally filled, from apparently what had been once the concrete bottom of the air shaft, was now almost up to the top of the windows of the first floor. It's filled with stuff over the years. Now, what a fantastic cross-section of our society would make, you know, if when that is all packed down, and the, the beginning stuff must have been thrown out of there, the top windows about the time of the Civil War, when the building was built. And uh, I suppose you could find old, uh, you know, old... Uh, Old packages of uh, used uh, mustache wax and you know, that kind of stuff, see, <coughs> candle ends and things like that. And, uh, you know, the kind of stuff that guys would use in the 1860s, and then gradually it slowly works up. Well, I used to spend my time walking out of this hotel and watching the crowd stealthily waiting for the opening bell over at the Porny movie house. Have you ever seen those guys gather in front of those joints? And they never look at each other. They all sort of stand there and sort of look off in the distance, you know, look up at the, at, the, at, the, uh, at the sky. They watch a bus go by, and they're all standing nervously waiting for the big 7 o'clock bell when uh, the orgy up in Lil's place begins. You know, a new classic. Uh, on the subject of that, did you know, speaking of, of, uh, of, uh, of pornography, I have a note here from England. Uh, for those of you who are bird cuckoos, that now the new in pet, and they get very expensive now these days, is a uh, parrot with a sound command of pornographic language. Uh, <laughs> I mean, parrots, pornographic uh, parrots, now fetch, according to this piece, up to $100 more than parrots that just have a normal uh, vocabulary. You know, and say, party, party, you know, stuff like that. Uh, you a hundred bucks extra. Uh, he now this is a statement of an exotic bird importer. Now, I can't tell whether that means the bird importer is exotic himself, or whether the birds that he imports are exotic. But he says that he is now uh, putting in a line of professional swearing birds. And in fact, he has hired two trainers who do nothing but train parrots <laughs> to, to to be obscene. And he, he says the best ones, of course, are young parrots. The younger the parrot, the more uh, the more they work in this department. He says, and so you get a you get a group of young parrots and you start working them over with the obscene language. He says they'll buy it, buy it right away. He says they they accept it immediately. He says, but the older birds tend to be moralists. <laughs> I, I don't make the news. I just I just <laughs> and, and uh, he says you know that's the latest status symbol is to own a parrot that stands over in the corner and hurls imprecations, uh, obscenities into the world. 
So you know, uh, all this all this stuff shows that there's a there's a vastly changing scene going on, and uh, wherever you look, you can see that uh, it's beginning to happen. You know, I I uh, I notice a decline among other things. I notice a decline in graffiti. Have you noticed that? You haven't. Well, I, you don't know this much anyway, Bill. It'll take you years to notice that. But there <laughs> there is a decline in graffiti. I can say this as a sub subway rider. I I. Uh, I said that much of the graffiti you see on the sides of subway cars is old graffiti. It's been there, you know, for a long time. You don't see much new graffiti. And uh, the style has kind of crystallized. You notice that? The round letters, the big round letters, and that's uh, kind of crystal style. Now, and I, well, no, I guess you're not much of a student, Bill, so I can't take you. Uh, no, you, the trouble with you is, is you listen to the news too much. You, you, you do, huh? Uh, by the way, speaking of the news, uh, <laughs> I, 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 there's nothing you can pick up today. No piece of literature of any type can you pick it up without being confronted with another crisis. Or crisis. Dollar crisis. Uh, we had a student crisis a few years ago. You know, the, the crises keep changing. The Strontium 90 crisis the ecology crisis, and uh, here I, I, I'm sitting in my office, see, and I, I pick up this magazine, which you wouldn't expect it to be a crisis magazine. I pick it, it's a scientific magazine, very official magazine, Scientific American, you know, it's uh, nothing but uh, stuff about uh, new types of enzymes that are being developed, and there I'm confronted with a new crisis, right there. Did you know there's an anchovy crisis? You knew it, huh? I didn't know that, see, because I'm not an anchovy fan. Uh, if you're, I suppose if you're an anchovy cook, you would know this. But there is an anchovy crisis. Now, <laughs> I say it's high time. Uh, <laughs> as, far as, I, as far as I'm concerned, there are certain things that, uh, that beg for the crisis. I mean, I've never been an anchovy fan, so, I mean, I figure that it's kind of good that they're having one, a crisis. But there is an anchovy crisis. So I sat there and I thought, gee... Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a crisis of somewhere the anchovy fans are in terrible turmoil because of advancing crisis. Then I discovered that there's a uh, a bicycle tire crisis. Did you know that, Jerry? Bicycle tire crisis. That uh, certain bicycles have been sold around the world for which there are no tires available. <laughs> and, and now it's caused a, a, skepti uh, a skepticism gap. Uh, between uh, buyers and sellers of bicycles, you know the idea. Yeah, I didn't. I, I would. I'm surprised you don't know that. The crisis gap going on, and and the uh, crisis in the, in the bicycles and the tires. Now I didn't. You know, uh, uh, even Jerry, who's a bicycle cuckoo, didn't know that one. So you know what we ought to do. Uh, you notice now that Watergate has become so much a part of the news now that they that there's the Watergate department of the news. And now uh, turning to Watergate news today. It's just like, and now the weather, or, and now the sports report, they have a Watergate editor now. In, in most news departments, he just handles Watergate. <laughs> and uh, I, I heard a rumor, which I, I cannot uh, confidence. I, I just do not, uh, I hope it's true, but I cannot, uh, I cannot uh, believe that it's true. Have you heard the name, Jerry, of the new, the new Washington ball team? You know, the team that's going to be in Washington now? You know what they're calling them now? And uh, apparently it's their name. It's the Watergates. 
I'm really serious. There is a new ball club that will be in Washington. It's not really new. They bought out San Diego, and the San Diego club is moving to Washington. And they're now called, according to a couple of reports I've seen, they're called the Washington Watergates. Now, that's going to be... <laughs> uh, you know, that, that kind of adds a little style to the whole thing, I think, you know. It's, uh, it's uh, <laughs> you know, it's like the Texas slush funders, something like that. You know, the Texas... Uh, that uh, <laughs> you, know, you could think of a lot of uh, great... Uh, like, for example, you could call them the uh, <clears throat> basketball team, right? The Long, the, uh, Long Island Tax Write-Offs. <laughs> you know, and, and you could have on their jersey, you see, their jersey could be stylized instead of having, you know, a big L.I. or something like that. You have a stylized Form 1040 on it. You know, it's like an uh, income tax. Uh, well, you know... Uh, Let's, let's enter the 20th century, fellas. I mean, uh, it's years ago. It's during the time of, of uh, Horatio Alger. They call ball teams the Tigers and the, the Bearcats, you know, names like that. In our time, they should, uh, they should get with it, you know. I mean, like this uh, dynamic radio station which you're listening to. This is WOR New York. Indeed. All we've got to do is add a couple of letters to our call letters. And we got ourselves a good name. Yes, sir. Well, I'm forever. Do you have a commercial in there for me, Bill? I thought so. Tonight, instead of the usual before dinner, how about a Dubonnet before dinner? Before that's the time to think about some Dubonnet to drink. Before's the proper time of day to have yourself a Dubonnet. Good boy, yeah, good boy. Tonight, before you fix the usual, before you settle down with the same old thing, have a Dubonnet instead. Dubonnet's the wine that's made to go before lunch, before dinner. Just pour it over the rocks. Add a twist. Soda, if you like. That's Dubonnet before. Made to make what comes after that much better. Dubonnet Company, New York, New York. <laughs> Brack, uh, let's see, we have here uh, Sabina Belgian World Airlines has an urgent announcement for any uh, youth types who plan to go to Europe this summer after the 27th of June. The present $220 youth fare to Europe will no longer be available. And that means the very next day, the 28th of June, youth fare will go up to $263. Let's see, that's uh, 40-some-odd bucks more. Moreover, there will be no more youth fare at all for 24- and 25-year-olds and no eligibility for students up to age 29. How long are you a youth in this country, anyway? <laughs> I mean, that's getting insane. Actuarially, actuarially speaking, uh, the uh, the insurance guys say, what, what did I say? The, the male in America today lives to about 69-something a little under 70, roughly. And the female is about eight years longer, roughly. So that means that if you're 25 years old, your life is well over a third gone. And you're still a youth. You're hanging in there, kid. My God. Keep shaved real close, though. Uh, however, <laughs> the $220 youth fare will apply on every Sabina flight to Europe 
right up to the 9.45 p.m. departure on June 27th. And you can return any time within a year. By flying Sabina up until the 27th of June, you'll save $43, enough to go farther, stay longer, and see more. You're thinking, you never thought about it that way, did you, Bill? That's right. Remember, you gotta got to make it before the 27th, so see your travel agent or call Sabina Belgian World Airline for details. Their number is area code 212. That's Sabina's number. That's area 212, and the number is 961-6200. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's commonly recognized in the world that America has one of the cu- most curious attitudes towards life, you know, the span of life of any place in the world. It's, it's, it's really a curious, mystical attitude we have. That uh, only America would consider a youth like 29. That's a youth. Uh, if, if a guy is 29 and is a youth, what is a person of, say, 14? Is he a pre-youth? <laughs> and and uh, this is... a. Uh, you know, they, they, they can't understand this. I've been uh, traveling around the world a great deal, and that question has been asked me several places, uh, especially in, in the Orient. They're fascinated by that. But the Orient, uh, the Orient is different in many ways, and in one major way, they consider a person of 13 is already a mature person. That's why in India it's not at all unusual for people of 15 or 14 to be married. That's a, that's a grown-up person. So they're confused when Americans will come over there and they will be called a youth. They will be called a student and a youth. I'm just a kid. They, they use the word kid all the time. Me and the kids, you know, we come over to see what Daenerys is like. And here they are. They are 25, they're 24 years old. 20. That's an elderly gentleman in many parts of the world. And uh, that totally confuses them. And uh, <laughs> and yet the American, the average American, when you point this out to him, he can't he can't see why the rest of the world doesn't understand that a guy of twenty five is a youth. You see what I'm saying, Bill? That uh, our belief is so ingrained in us that we think the others are kind of confused. We uh, we we understand this, and yet if you take a look at the actuarial tables, you realize that that. Uh, that youth, uh, that, that your life uh, should be, well, you look at the whole span. So if, if the span of life is, is the average span of life, average, of course, is, uh, say, roughly 69 or 70 for a male, and it's 76 or 78 for a female, it's pretty hard to call a person of 25 a youth. You agree? <laughs> Sorry, Bill. <laughs> well, Bill, I mean, I, I just can't, you know, I don't make the actuarial tables. I only report them. Life is that way. You know, the span of life. You know, speaking of life, the other night, uh, well, let's do a couple more of these commercials here. This is kind of a, kind of a uh, catch-all show here tonight. Uh, let's see what we have here. Take a free mini-lesson. What the hell is a mini-lesson? All right, take a free mini-lesson and increase your reading and memory abilities on the spot. For years, man has dreamed of possessing a powerful memory. I'm just quoting the copy here. A memory that can store information for long periods of time and be able to retrieve this information accurately and on command and due to a new secret technique. 
you can learn how to develop a reliable memory for virtually any kind of information, including that which you read. Of course, in this age of advancing uh, illiteracy, that's becoming a major problem. So if you have problems both remembering things and reading, uh, we would suggest that you visit Evelyn Wood Fast, the speed reading course, and they'll give you this uh, memory course at no extra cost. And now, this week, the Lyceum will be holding this free mini-lesson at a location near your home. You get a free mini-lesson, have a little fun doing it, and let's see, they're going to hold it tomorrow night at 8 in the Bronx at Fordham University Faculty Memorial Hall in Garden City at the Roosevelt Field Lower Concourse in Manhattan at 72 West 45th Street in Queens at the Flushing YMCA. That's on Northern Boulevard, 136-46. And in Morristown, New Jersey, at the Governor Morris Inn, 2 Whippany Inn. That's all Whippany Road. That's tomorrow at 8, all of those. And let's see... Uh, you know, that's a, you, you really, you, that really kind of threw you, didn't it, Bill? He's worried now about all that. Bill thought of himself as a youth. Well, Bill, at 37, you've got to have to, you're just going to have to reevaluate a lot of things. I mean, you really are, whether you like it or not. In a motor car, parts include the carburetor, the transmission, the differential, and so on. This is another one of our fun spots here. In another vehicle, your own body... Never thought of your body as a vehicle, did you, Bill? You know, your set of wheels with them two little feet down there at the, at the end of your ankle bones, right? <laughs> there are parts like the heart, kidney, stomach, etc. All essential, along with so many more in that complex machine that is you. Well, you like to give it exceptionally good fuel, right? You buy good gas for your car, don't you? Well, then quit eating them cheap hamburgers. And drinking that lousy water. Mountain Valley water from Hot Springs, Arkansas, should be exactly right for you. When you drink Mountain Valley water, you'll be joining people who've been drinking it for 40, 50, even 60 years. Sitting around swelling water, getting all watered up on a Saturday night. Living testimonials to the excellent taste, the satisfying effect of America's only water to merit popularity across the nation. It's actually popular water for a free folder on a price list or to have Mountain Valley water delivered to you, mail a card to, it says blank here. Who's that? Blank. All right, mail a card to me, M-E, in care of W-O-R, New York, 10018. And you just write the term, write water on it, W-A-T-T-T-E-R, exclamation point. And they'll be in touch with you. They'll send you the dope on water, all the great stuff you can mix with it and everything. Let's see, Serena, Evelyn Wood. Uh, no, no, we will we'll lay off the commercial here for a bit. I, I think I've got you totally depressed here, Bill, <laughs> because of that. That's that's another thing about Americans. See, that's part of our mystique that 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 we we're, we're really basically bugged. I think Americans generally are basically bugged that we are mortal, and that really bothers us. The mortality of of us. And uh, you don't mention certain things in certain American circles. They're really very definitely not... Uh, you know that, that that's, a, that's a, an old, long-standing uh, uh, thing among comics. And as a working humorist and comic, I can tell you some of the... You're curious about some of the things you do not do on stage? Or at least this is one of the, the uh, old-time taboos. Uh, today, there are slightly changing taboos, but... One of the taboos that you never 
uh, a few years ago. You never cross that line. You never make jokes on stage or even refer glancingly to it. The subject of funerals, anything to do with uh, with uh, mortality. Uh, the only, the closest you can do is if you're playing in a really slapstick for less stuff. You holler, "Oh, drop dead, Charlie!" Uh, you never really specific. If you ever actually did that on stage, the audience would be in a sh- state of shock. <laughs> so, so I, the, I, in fact, I got a review one time in town. I did a bit. Uh, on on funerals at town hall, and it was, I uh, you know I was not aware of this taboo, and I did this bit uh, on the stage of town hall, and it was a bit that I also had on a recording, and it got some fascinating reviews around the country, especially the recording, which was cut for Electra, and the bit was called I, I titled it the Fun Funeral, which. Uh, is a growing trend in this country, even more so today. In other words, it was it was the idea that uh, that the whole concept of the funeral is getting to be sort of a fun activity. In fact, it was based on an ad which I saw for the opening of a funeral hall, funeral parlor someplace, where the funeral parlor was having a cocktail party to celebrate its opening, and they were giving away free favors, and uh, they were giving away souvenir favors and stuff. And it says, "Come and have, bring the kids and have a good time Sunday." at the opening of the Glockenspiel Forever Rest Funeral Parlor. <laughs> it shows a lot of people dancing and bands playing, and they were going to have this great big day there at the, at the funeral parlor. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty fascinating concept, where, they, where you know, the guy, you just see the father saying to his, uh, his, you know, to the wife and the kids, hey, kids, we're going out for a good afternoon. We're going down to the funeral parlor for a big party. And uh, they go down there, and everybody sings and dances, and they have the newest caskets laid out there that, that you know, display of the great... The, the product and and so on, and uh, I I projected this forward. See that ultimately the American, uh, because we're getting quite Egyptian in our hang-up. Yes, yes, indeed. You know the Egyptians had this problem. Uh, the the I'm talking about the pre-Christian Egyptians. I'm talking about the back in the uh, the days of the pharaohs. Uh, that. The reason that the, the pyramids were built, or at least one of the reasons, was an attempt at immortality. That the, that the Egyptian, uh, they were very definitely hung on this problem. And there was a tremendous, it ran through their daily life. Uh, the whole concept of, of uh, dying and life after death and everything was really deeply involved in, in the, the Egyptian religions, the religion of the time. So when the when the Egyptian would die, it was assumed that he didn't really die. He, he was moving into another, another plane of existence. And he would be the same person. He would be the same everything. And he would need all these things that he had with it. Uh, all the things that he'd accumulated. Uh, like, uh, you know, if he has a, if he has a, uh, you know, his yo-yo that he liked to play with. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's true. I mean, his pet, uh, his pet dachshund. Uh, he had the... Uh, you know, he had a he had a great uh, a great suitcase that he enjoyed uh, taking uh, picnics in and and all this stuff you know that the people have in their lives. So they would be very carefully buried with him. So as he leaves, you know, wherever he goes, he you know he doesn't you know you don't want to arrive in the next plane of existence without your yo-yo or your your ballpoint pen or whatever it is you need you know your credit card and all that stuff. So 
he would go into the next realm carrying with him this stuff. Now that's why when they opened tombs uh, of uh, particularly the higher nobility, when they opened tombs, they find all this great stuff. Uh, that's the the whole point is to find an unopened tomb where and and of course then a thriving business broke out uh, during the time of the Egyptians, by the way, where they would rob these tombs. In other words, it was always wise guys in every society that the minute they would lay away the local nobleman with the you know he's left laid away with his uh, his silver chalice that he drank his mead from and and uh, all his uh, his groovy sandals and all the stuff he had. They would immediately come at night and sneak in there, burrow in, and steal all this stuff and put it back on the market. So that uh, <laughs> that was a big problem. But nevertheless, the the thing that drove these people to do it was their attitude towards life or and death. See, if you have an attitude towards life, you also have one towards death, because it's all and it's a medical part of the whole process, whether you like it or not. There it is. So uh, they 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 built them, they, they got so hung on it that they begin to build their entire life on life after death, you see. They, this is just a temporary thing here, and the real thing's going to start, and <laughs> you know, the day, that I, the day that I get hit by lightning, that's when the real ball game begins, and so forth, and so it, uh, it became uh, a, a real hang-up with them, to the point where, where uh, it, was, it was, in a, in a very real sense, the national religious attitude. Now, it's growing strongly in America. After all, the, the belief in the occult is very closely tied in with that sort of thing. That, uh, that our, I think that the fear that the, that the average American, of course, this is a, a normal human fear, but different societies have it in different degrees and different attitudes uh, will pertain towards it. But in the... <coughs> since we have a hedonistic attitude towards life, largely, I think, I think we're one of the few nations... Uh, who have adopted hedonism as a uh, national philosophy. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not the last. <laughs> it does not mean that uh, we'll, be the, uh, we'll be the only one. We're the first that can afford it. Hedonism is an expensive philosophy. Now, what is hedonism, really? It's, it's, it's a philosophy based on the pleasure principle. And uh, it's an ancient Greek philosophy, one of the six or seven uh, basic Greek philosophical concepts and the hedonists held that, that, that the only thing worth living in life is pleasure that, that pleasure is, is what is good they equated pleasure itself with good in other words if something was, was pleasurable it was per se good uh, if it was not pleasurable it was per se bad so then the goal of life would be to attempt to expunge from your existence everything that was not pleasurable now that could mean a lot of things. That could be, that could be waiting for a bus, uh, you know, all kinds of trivial things. But nevertheless, that's what the concept of life was was really basically uh, built on the pleasure principle. So if you could have a life where you had more fun, more pleasure, I'll say, uh, throughout your lifetime than non-pleasure, that was considered to be a successful life. Okay, the problem came though. <laughs> there's a problem with every philosophy. The problem came when you, when you uh, began to define the term pleasure, because pleasure can be defined many ways. Now, I'll give you a, a negative definition. For example, it could conceivably be true that a man could derive a great deal of pleasure, say, uh, 
uh, hurting or causing hurt or maiming his neighbors. In short, the guy who gets a sadistic pleasure, and at his pleasure, if he is, uh, if he's uh, got this sickness going, let's say, of killing somebody. So the definition of pleasure became a highly controversial uh, doctrine right there. Some people got pleasure out of eating, but others got pleasure out of out of uh, denying others the right to eat. <laughs> Do you follow that? <laughs> so, so ultimately, the, this this uh, this philosophy is a very dangerous one uh, because if you if you if you uh, become a hedonist, and this incidentally is one of the reasons why we have a rise in in violence and forms of violent crime in America. Because much of the crime that we find is based on an, an attempt to achieve pleasure. So when a dope addict goes out and kills somebody to get money to buy heroin, he is merely living out a, a hedonistic philosophy, that he is striving to achieve pleasure. Uh-huh. Ah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because he's not, he's not really doing it for money. He's not doing it for anything else. He's doing it for the sheer physical pleasure. Now, that, that is, is one of the great problems that it pertains to the hedonistic society. So the hedonism that we have, since, since we now know, uh, using the term hedonism in its strictest sense, that that which is pleasurable is good, that which is not pleasurable is evil. It derives then that death has to be evil. Because it's quite uh, obvious that if you can't define it as pleasure, it's not something you want, it's going to cut out all the fun. <laughs> That's really basically what, what, what uh, death really ultimately does. So since it does that, it has to be evil. So since it is evil, I then no longer believe in it. So there are many people who really secretly believe that they're never going to die. And uh, all the others, of course, ultimately will, or many of them, those who make you know, mistakes along the route, uh, but they, they won't. And, and so the, 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 these are all part and parcels of that whole complex hedonistic attitude, which is part of our national heritage, the pursuit of... See, when you, when you take a look at the Constitution, even, it says all men are given an inalienable right for the pursuit of happiness. Now, happiness is transformed in many people's mind to pleasure. Somehow, they're, but they're not the same. Look it up in the dictionary. <laughs> they're really not the same. So, pursuing pleasure is not necessarily an inalienable right. Pursuing happiness is, however. Now, and, and so, you'll find that the terms that pertain to pleasure are becoming more and more popular terms used in totally uh, almost indefensible context. For example, uh, somebody will hold up a box. This is on television. You see a lot of this. Somebody will hold up a box of uh, some kind of cereal made out of barley, and he will say, it is a fun cereal. Well, what do you mean by a fun cereal? Now, has he said, this has got great nutrition? Has he said that it tastes good? No, he hasn't said any of those things. He said it's a fun cereal. <laughs> now, now that's that's uh, that's a, that's a new kind. Of, uh, the idea of thinking of a food as as a fun food is purely an American hedonistic concept. That's a fun idea. 
fun food. And so now the foods that we have, a lot of the newest foods that are being developed, are developed on the concept of the toy principle. Now, what is a toy? A toy is a device which is only used to, 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 to engender pleasure. That's, that's what a toy really is. A toy is a little bauble. It's a thing that's pleasurable and fun. And it's often a miniature of a real thing. So you take a toy car. It's not really a car. It's a miniature of a car. But it's used for pleasure. You push it around. The kid holds it and he looks at it. And a toy airplane. A toy ship. Uh, so now we have toy cereals, which are really copies of real cereal, but are basically toys. You don't buy them because they taste good or anything, but because they're fun. Uh, and now you have Frankenberries. You have uh, chocolates and <laughs> all kinds of, of toy-type foods, which, uh, which are offshoots of candy. They've even got now cereals, which now have in them uh, uh, chopped-up pieces of marshmallow. And uh, this is, uh, ugh, can you imagine eating chopped up pieces of marshmallow at breakfast? But nevertheless, yes, in the cereal. Uh, well, if you're, if you're, uh, now I might say, if, if you are from a toy attitude mind, you would like that. And, and everything that's called sweet is called good in that hedonistic world. Uh, that, that, that everything has to be very sweet, tasting sweet, because it's an offshoot of candy. Candy is a totally useless food most cases. So the more something tastes like candy, the more it's appreciated by the hedonist. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, so, so you'll find uh, they, they don't like, uh, for example, good wine bothers them, really good wine, because it's called what they call sour. They want sweet things. Uh, so is it, you know, yeah, let's get out with this. Speaking of food, friends, if you'd like to try some really good food, and you're looking for some... Uh, Oriental food that's really for grown-ups. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to suggest the House of Chan. Great food, and uh, you'll find that it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a good place to visit, too. There's a casual atmosphere there, and there, I can't imagine a more convenient uh, location for most people coming into New York. It's 52nd and 7th Avenue. It's the House of Chan, and they have hundreds of uh, dishes on their menu, and the food is always fresh. They have 22 chefs. And when you come in there and you're going, to, you're going to a show or something like that, tell them as soon as you sit down because they'll make sure you get your food fast, quick, and, and right on it. The House of Chan, they have a good bar. They're open seven days a week, and they're open till midnight every day, and that includes Sunday. House of Chan, 52nd and 7th. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get on to this, Bill. I, I, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, you know, I guess... I guess uh, uh, the, I, I, I never forget uh, my first introduction to the, in what could be called uh, the classical study of a philosophy, which uh, I began when I was in, uh, a freshman in, in college. Uh, just as an elective, I began to take uh, uh, courses in uh, oh, uh, logic, for example. I, I found logic, two years of logic, fascinating. Uh, I took logic... Uh, Philosophies, two or three years, two or three uh, successive years of different types of philosophy, and and of course the one thing you learn about the, after you've studied philosophy is that there is no answer. Which which uh, everybody uh, unfortunately most people will study philosophy or get involved in philosophical uh, thought in an attempt to find an answer. 
and and actually the, uh, the the truth is unfortunately the opposite <laughs> and I'm not a, a attempting to throw truth out but I will say this though I do believe that that uh, that the growth of uh, crime in some ways is connected with the hedonistic hedonistic attitudes that is the belief in hedonism uh, it's a it's a it's a certainly legitimate uh, uh, philosophy uh, just as legitimate as uh, Platonism, just as legitimate as the Aristotelian system, and in some ways far less, uh, far less dangerous. The Aristotelian system can lead you into some interesting problems, too. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I wonder how many people have ever thought, say, the new types of cereal as part of the pleasure hedonistic principle. Well, it is. And, and uh, I'm not the only one who's been who's been making observations in that department. Now, I am not attempting at any point to be moralistic about this. A lot of people think you are being moralistic when you merely point out what's happening. That in itself is moralistic. Uh, so if five guys are having a fight in the corner of a room and you have the temerity to point it out, say, hey, those guys are fighting, they say, what are you trying to do, cause trouble? No, you're pointing it out that, uh, that this... Uh, and incidentally, the, the attitude that we have towards life. And see, the, if you can pretend that you're a youth all your life, you then believe that you have not even, uh, you're not even approaching any age where you can even seriously consider a possible end to your life. And so I think one of the reasons why we've made youth extend to better than half of the life period, better than half the lifetime, of a person is that then we've achieved almost an immortality by playing around with language. And so so here here's Lindsay. I, I the other day I heard Lindsay being described as uh, it's, somebody said, well at last uh, uh, there won't be a youthful image. We probably won't have a youthful image in the, the mayor's office of New York City. And yet, uh, how old is Lindsay? All right, he's 50. But that's youth in America. That uh, would confuse a lot of people around the world. <laughs> and, 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 and yet, this, I, I'm not putting it down, it's just there. You know? it's, it's, it's one of our national characteristics that, uh, in fact, is very rarely mentioned. You know, a true national characteristic is very, very rarely mentioned by the people who are part of that complex. It takes an outsider to come in and comment on that. And many, many outsiders have, have commented over the years about our curious attitude towards uh, life, death, uh, youth, longevity. We're the only country that publishes hundreds of books, seriously, year after year, on how to uh, live to be a hundred. And buys them. <laughs> hundreds of you couldn't sell a book like that to a French peasant who's already 107. You know, he, the way he got that way was by swilling wine every day. He was swilling wine and chasing 12-year-old girls. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, just hang on there, friend. It's all right. It's all in the mind. That's an American idea, too. Yeah. 